0: Good morning. This morning we are going to be reading from the English Standard Version in Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. So, the Psalms, the Psalms highlight the human soul's need for meditation and prayer. The Psalms do this, meditation and prayer, again and again. I think that is one of the essential needs of our lives and habits to cultivate as spiritual beings. We are created by a God who wants us to relate to him. So we're not only physical, we're spiritual. We're whole. God is one. We are one. We are, we are whole beings. And meditation and prayer are critical if you're going to live the life that your Creator has called you to live and designed for you to live. And so we have right here in this songbook, in the ancient Hebrew Bible, we have 150 songs, sung prayers that show us what it looks like to go to God in prayerful meditation. In any type of emotion, whatever you've been through, whatever types of emotion you've dealt with, whatever you're dealing with right now, whether it's fear or anger or jealousy, whatever it might be, you can find that emotion somewhere in the Psalms. So today, so Psalm 43, some people say is really Psalm 42, part two. If you look at 42 and 43, we looked at 42 last week, they almost look like part one and part two of the same song. Maybe they are. Who knows? However, they share, they share some expressions, some similar expressions. For instance, look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So there seems to be, so that, that comes up three times between these two psalms. Is that word for word, same thing? So it seems like there's a theme here. There's a repetition, there's a, there's a refrain. You know what a refrain is? If you're, if you're familiar with old hymns, it's the same words come up at the end of every verse, the refrain, or in more popular music or more common uh, Christian choruses, any, any type of folk music, any type of pop music, the refrain or the chorus is what you hear again and again. Think of popular songs, and there's some type of a refrain in them, right? Right? Sing us a song, you're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Keeps coming up and up. You know the one that's been in my head for like 2 weeks. Remember Oasis? If you're Gen X or probably only if you're Gen X. Remember Oasis, the British group from the 90s. All like for the last 2 weeks is in my head that song Wonderwall. Maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me. 2 weeks in my head constantly. Thank you Spotify. So, but but that's a refrain. The same words over and over, right? And so you go, okay, so that's the theme of the song. So it seems here that we have a refrain over these two psalms. And what's the refrain? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? That's the refrain. He's cast down. This singer is depressed. You know what it's like to be depressed? Have you been depressed? Are you depressed right now? It could be just maybe clinically or maybe just you know, emotionally going through a hard time, if you're depressed or if you're going to be or if you have been before and you can relate to what this person is going through, why are you cast down on my soul? Then you need the light of God and you need the truth of God which this psalmist discovers is exactly what he needed. You need God's light and truth. And we're going to talk about what those two words mean, light and truth. But what I hope you're going to see today in Psalm 43 is that God's presence and his promises lead you out of distress into his joy. The presence and the promises of God lead us out of our distress into his joy, his joy. And the psalmist of Psalm 43 is going to help us today to think about whatever predicament you're in or have been in and how to respond to it. And finally, how to develop a refrain of your own that you can remember, kind of a theme of your life for this moment. So whatever your predicament is, how to respond to it, and some type of a refrain that God can help you develop so that your soul can sing. To itself um, during this time. So the predicament, the response, and the refrain. Now, your predicament is gonna require some honest reflection. And we can see that's exactly what the singer has done. The singer has shown some evidence that he's been thinking about what's going on, what's happening to him, what's happening inside of him, and all around him. Look at verse one. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause from what? He says later on in that verse, from, deceitful and un, from, the, from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. I think that's the result of some honest reflection. Because he's come to the conclusion, having examined the situation and himself, that he's not guilty. Whatever he's being accused of, he thinks he's in the right. He thinks he's being unjustly accused. He's being slandered. But, and this is important to note, God hasn't vindicated him yet. God hasn't delivered him. God hasn't proven his innocence, at least publicly. The false accusations, whatever they were, they stand. They're still held against him. And so in verse 2, he concludes, this is what he says to God, why have you rejected me? I'm innocent. The accusations persist. I'm still seen as guilty. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Same words as as the previous Psalm right there. Another another common expression shared between the two Psalms. So he's discouraged, right? I would even I would even argue, I would I would take a bet here that he's he's depressed. He's in a foreign country. He's we looked at Psalm forty two, he's in the far north, maybe outside of the bounds of the of the Judah that he knows. Um, he's on the outside, he's an outsider, he's been falsely accused, and he longs to go back to Jerusalem. He longs to be back with his brothers and sisters at the temple and enjoy the presence of God and worship together. And so he's saying, I'm falsely accused, you haven't defended me, why have you rejected me? He's depressed. The, um, the medical doctor turned preacher um, back uh, about 50 or 60 years ago, last century, uh, David Martin Lloyd Jones. He he preached on and wrote a book about what he called spiritual depression. So this isn't clinical, this isn't medical. I'm not qualified to talk that way. Interesting about Lloyd Jones is he he took some of his medical perspective and brought it into his ministry as a preacher and a pastor. But he talked about what he called spiritual depression, and he actually he actually talked about five. Five causes for somebody to be spiritually depressed. Again, don't take this as a a clinical, technical term. Take it as in your life with God, you're discouraged. Things are not good. Things aren't right. You can remember better times. You're wrestling with God. Or at least you're wrestling with yourself and you're not sure what he's up to and what he's doing. You're discouraged. You're beaten down. And you're wondering, where is God in all of this? That's spiritual depression. And he talks about five causes of it. See if any of this sounds familiar to you. Somebody's temperament. right? Personality. Some people are more inclined to be depressed and discouraged than others. Maybe you're more sullen. Maybe you have high expectations. Maybe you're idealistic. And so you're often discouraged because nothing, <laughs> nothing is the way you want it to be ever. Uh, Some of us in our temperament are just more prone towards being discouraged and just feeling lost in a difficult situation. He also mentions physical factors and conditions like poor health. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance in you. Maybe you've gone through an injury and that has set you back and discouraged you. Maybe, and I can relate to this, maybe sickness itself has depressed you. Sometimes we, we, we find ourselves uh, going uh, from an accident or from a life-threatening illness, we find ourselves in treatment. And the treatment itself will generate some type of, of, of depression. He also mentioned a down reaction after a great blessing. I'm just quoting him word for word. And that sounds confusing. He means uh, you're on a spiritual high, God does something amazing, you are living life, right? You're on the mountaintop at the retreat. And then just nothing, quiet. You come down off of that high and you're like, oh, I wish I could live at the retreat. Um, Lloyd-Jones talks about Elijah you know, when he basically you know, defeats, humiliates the prophets of Baal. And right after that, he's feeling sorry for himself, right? Read First Kings. Right after that, this amazing moment that God uses Elijah and then he's feeling sorry for himself right after that. So a down reaction after a great blessing. Imagine withdrawal from vacation, right? You, you, you see people you love and then you have to go away and you're like, ugh, I'm stuck with my coworkers. I wish I could be with those friends that we hang, you know, we hang out at the lake every year and now you're in withdrawal. You know, in my line of work, a lot of pastors get depressed on Monday, that's not because of you it's a a lot of interaction a a lot of give and take a lot of response and input and God is at work and then you experience this physical exhaustion that can lead to discouragement it's very common Lloyd-Jones also mentions a fourth thing he talks about spiritual attack attacks of Satan now you know Satan in the Bible is called the accuser the adversary and the accuser spiritual warfare spiritual conflict Accusations that come against your identity as a creature of God, as a son and daughter, as someone, even if you're not a Christian and you're here today, someone who is created in the image of God with immeasurable dignity and value, accusations from Satan and from spiritual forces that would convince you that you're nothing and you're worth nothing and you are meaningless. The attacks of Satan. The fifth one he mentions is simple unbelief, just doubting that God cares, doubting that God can work, maybe doubting that God exists. Many faithful, consistent atheists throughout history have ended their lives because if all of this is random, and the product of chance, then there is no purpose. There is no meaning. And they have to live in this contradiction every day. Um, simple unbelief sometimes is three is, is what will spring forth discouragement and even depression. So so there you go. There, do you see any of do you see yourself in any of this? Do any of these apply to you now? Or even general? Maybe you look at these things and you go, Oh yeah, that's that one right there, that's me. I know what that's like. Well, look, like the Psalms and those who wrote the Psalms, your predicament requires honest reflection. Don't just force yourself through experiences. Don't just play a video game and listen to a song and eat and hang out and get caught up in something to take things off of your mind. Reflect, the psalmist did. Think about your predicament and look at it honestly. That is why the spiritual dialogue of meditation and prayer is so important. That's why there's 150 Psalms. Because the Spirit of God is trying to explain to the people of God throughout human history that meditation, which leads to prayer, is an essential part of human existence. Now, your response to your predicament, once you've kind of had some honest reflection, your response is going to require some God-centered dependence. Not you-centered, God-centered dependence. Chrissy talked about this earlier today with the kids. God-centered dependence, this is how we respond. Now, in the psalmist' depression, he, he, he doesn't abandon God even in his discouragement. He's calling out God, saying, where are you? What have you done for me lately? But he doesn't abandon the quest. He leans in even more. He leans in even more heavily on God. And he asks God for something, for two things. He says in verse 3, he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. What What I need right now, God, is your light and your truth, Let's talk about what light and truth is. Light, and we don't have a lot of time, so. but from the Old Testament perspective, light means God's presence. Send out your light saying, God, send me your presence. I want to be in your presence, which is another way of saying having God's favor. Not having a bully around you, but having a shepherd around you. Having someone who provides for you around you. Think of Numbers chapter 5, the blessing of Aaron. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Okay, so light is the presence of God that he's asking for. What is truth? Truth can be understood as God's promises. Not only God's promises, but his faithfulness to keep his promises. Think of what God said to Joshua. He said, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. He said, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then keep reading the book of Joshua. And God was true to his word. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you and the people. And God God never did. So when the psalmist here is asking for light and for truth, he's basically saying, God, be near me and speak to me. Be near me and speak to me. And then, through the light of God and the truth of God, even just anticipating that those things exist, that his presence and his voice are real, they're not man made up, they're they're real things, just that alone brings him hope. He finds hope in his distress because of who God is, the presence of God, and what God says, his truth, his promises. As Francis Schaeffer talked about, and he wrote a whole book about it, he is there and he is not silent. And that is huge. That alone, knowing that God is there and that God is not silent, alone brings the psalmist hope in his distress. How do you know he has hope? Look at verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Where's his hope? God, my exceeding joy. And he says, I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. He's even in this moment, he's anticipating going back to Jerusalem, going back to the temple, being with his fellow people of faith and worshiping God. Even now, his hope is in the joy that knowing God brings him. He's not yet ready, he's not there yet, he's depressed. But, but he's anticipating joyful praise. He's going to sing again. He's looking forward to it. He's not just depressed. He's depressed and hopeful. So my encouragement to you today is to test God in this way. Test the Bible's God and see if he will lead you through your predicament to hope and certainty Notice I didn't say to the resolution of the problem. But test him and see if he will lead you through your predicament to hope and certainty. That's what his presence and his truth offer. This is a God-centered dependence. It's not a man or a woman or a human-centered dependence. It's not a science-centered dependence. It's not a a medicinally-centered dependence dependence it's not socially centered it's not politically centered dependence all of those things are important all of those things have a place we've been talking about it for the last year but spiritual depression spiritual sickness it's got to be treated by the great physician none of those other things as important as they are will nurture you towards health if you are spiritually discouraged discouraged Um, is it your habit to respond to your predicaments with self-centered dependence and self doesn't have to mean you think you're going to solve it it could be another person, it could be a thing it's still self-centered because you're deciding in your own wisdom that you need those things you need to depend on those people more than on your creator so the pandemic and all the conflicts on the side that the pandemic brought along with us, with it, um, have shown us what? Science and medicine and our friends and our government have all helped us and hurt us. Yes, helped and hurt, right? At the same time. So have you been looking for comfort? That's God's light. And have you been looking for meaning, that's God's truth in all of those things. That's a self-centered dependence in our adversity. Rather than looking to a God who reveals himself as present and powerful and personal. Now here's a refrain based on a present, powerful, and personal God. Here's a refrain, a chorus that will make the difference for you between despair And hope in whatever predicament you're thinking about right now. Again, three times between Psalms 42 and 43, you hear the same refrain. And I think this is like a life motto for whatever this singer was going through. Verse 5, we'll say it again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But that's only half of the refrain, right? Hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my god it is a depressed desperation leaning into hope because it is leaning into a god who is there and who has spoken again martin lloyd jones he would say in his series on spiritual depression what often happens is you hear a voice speaking to you it doesn't have to be audible But you essentially find yourself listening to a voice, and the voice is discouraging you, and the voice is accusing you, and the voice is beating you down, and the voice is saying to you things like, You're nothing, you're no good. People know you're no good, you know you're no good, you're ugly. You don't live up to your parents' expectations. You don't live up to your spouse's expectations. You don't live up to your boss's expectations. You don't live up to God's expectations. You don't live up to your own expectations. You're nothing. You're less than. You're other. You're different. And people know it. And you know it. And Lloyd-Jones said when you hear that voice talking to you, you talk back to it. You talk back to it. It's not, schizophrenia. it's not spiritual schizophrenia. It's the result of meditation that leads to focused, meaningful prayer. He said, when you hear that voice, you talk back to that voice with the truth of a God who is there. When you hear that refrain, you're nothing, you're ugly, you're guilty, you're nothing, you're other, you don't live up. When you hear that, you talk back. You develop a different refrain, and the refrain that the psalmist developed was, Why are you cast down, O my soul, hope in God? For I shall again praise him. What? My salvation and my God. That's his talking back. The voice is talking smack to him, and he talks smack back. And he says, No, no, no. My God has not rejected me. He is my salvation. My salvation and my God. Don't you see? Meditation is not merely a spiritual thing and it's definitely not mystical it is practical it is realistic and it's effective that's why we look at the psalms every summer because you know i'm hoping that before i get hit by a bus or kick the bucket you'll have figured out wow meditation is something that is really important And to know the God of the Bible and to follow the God of the Bible, meditation that leads to meaningful prayer should be a part of my life, and I should cultivate that habit. Okay, so here's the evidence that meditation is realistic and practical and effective. The evidence of it is his hope of joy. What did he say in verse 4? He said, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I don't. You and I have nothing in ourselves that produces joy. I don't believe we do. We have happiness. We can be excited. We can be on highs. But true joy, the type of joy that Jesus talked about, right? I'm here so that you, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. I don't think we we don't whip that up ourselves. We don't cook it up. It comes from God alone. Joy comes in our distress when we cling to the presence and promises of God. Send out your light and your truth. When that is what we want, we have joy in our distress. And Jesus of Nazareth would say the night he was betrayed, before he was executed, in the upper room to his closest disciples, he said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. That's why those people were able to go out and give up their lives. Because nobody was able to take away their joy, which came to them in their distress. And why did they have that joy? Because it came to Jesus in his distress. The author of Hebrews says about Jesus that night and the next day, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. In his adversity and in his utter weakness, talk about somebody who said, why have you rejected me, O God? It was Jesus on the cross. You know spiritual depression? Jesus knows it. He knows what you're going through. He sweat blood he was so depressed and discouraged and frightened the night before he died. And the Christian's great hope, our great hope, is knowing that because Jesus Christ's distress turned into joy, so will ours. That's the proof. We can lean into God even when he doesn't answer us and even when we're depressed because Jesus' sorrow and depression turned into joy. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let that be your refrain now. Sing it again and again and again. You won't find it on Spotify. But maybe you need different words. Maybe those aren't the words for you. By looking at Scripture and meditating on it, we talked about what meditation was last week, and then responding in prayer, I think God will give you a refrain that will get you through right now. You know, through the result of prayer and meditation on some of the Proverbs about a month ago, I put together a short prayer that I was able to memorize and in difficult moments, I recall that prayer to my mind and it really helps me get through. It's not a mantra. It's not some mystical, you know, fairy dust on my problems. It is an expression that I have memorized for myself that brings me back to the word of God and his promises. What should your refrain be? God's presence and promises lead us out of our distress into his joy. Remember that. It's his joy. It's not yours. It doesn't come from you. It comes from him, but it can be yours. Test the God of the Bible and see whether or not he will lead you, and he will, through your predicaments into hope and certainty because of who he is and what he has promised. Let's pray. Holy God, our great Father, our Creator, we rejoice that you you listen. You listen to us. We don't always hear your voice speaking back, but we know you listen. Look at these 150 prayers. Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending them down to us across the ages. Thank you for these saints of the past who in their distress cried out to you and that your presence and your promises were their hope and may it be our hope as well. Thank you that we know this is not a bunch of bull. It's real because Christ rose from the dead. His distress became his joy and ours as well. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, our exceeding joy, amen.